It's Thursday, July 28th, and this is The Paul List, um, a daily comics analysis podcast. Um, I'm Tuplai on Twitter at T-W-O-P-L-A-I or Tuplai at gmail.com. Uh, this podcast every day tries to take a comic book and look at it analytically from some perspective or another. Um, I'm an academic, I'm a researcher, I'm also a teacher, and sometimes we look at books through a literary lens, sometimes through a social, cultural, historical lens, sometimes through an aesthetic lens or a formal lens, um, but we really try to analyze comics. This is really about talking about um, the production of comics, the, the reception of comics, the readerships, the, the cultural impact, um, and sometimes the... Uh, formal elements. So um, if all of that sounds fun, then I'm glad you've made it here. Um, today, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Jack Davis and specifically talk about one piece that's from um, a collection called Mad's Original Idiots, Jack Davis. Um, I hope it's not uh, disrespectful in any way. I hope this whole podcast isn't dis disrespectful in any way. I actually mean to honor the man and his work. Um, but uh, the Mad's Original Idi Idiots is a couple, of, a few volumes, three volumes that came out this year that collected the early Mad, Mag uh, Mad Comics work, sorry, uh, from the early 1950s of three of its um, a pantheon of artists, Jack Davis, Wally Wood, and Will Elder. Um, Jack Davis uh, passed away yesterday at 91 years old, and I think the comics world was greeted with the news yesterday morning and, uh, you know, mourned, immediately mourned uh, the passing of one of its, um, well, one of its Rushmore, I'd say, of figures. Jack Davis uh, may have been the pinnacle of what uh, early Mad represented. Um, of course, Harvey Kurtzman, uh, writer, founder, um, also himself a cartoonist extraordinaire, uh, was Mad. But uh, Kurtzman and Davis had a had a very close relationship. Uh, Kurtzman maybe had more influence in what in the, in the tone and sensibility that Mad. Um, you know, ultimately uh, came to leave as a legacy on American popular culture. But I think Jack Davis, um, a, a significant, if not equal, role um, in, in the creation of that ethos. And, you know, not to mention that I think both are figures who um, influence cartooning in the way that cartooning comes to influence uh, several strains of American popular culture that, um, you know, exploited caricature and satire as as social commentary as political commentary in ways that um you know prior prior to them political cartoonists had done and uh and continues to happen and obviously not necessarily in visual aesthetics but in tone uh in things like um things like uh uh you know the the daily show or or stephen colbert um you know there's more Americans who consume their news from um, from news satire sometimes it seems than uh, than actual news shows. Uh, I I don't know if there's actual data on that. I should uh, check myself, but I've heard such things said, and it doesn't shock me. Um, so you know when you read things like The Onion, or when you read um, just all of the the um, heavy. Uh, heavy use of, of um, exaggeration to um, point out ironically the sort of backwards truths, um, there is a, a big role that uh, MAD and its um, antecedents and its predecessors um, played in, uh, in that tone existing in our popular culture. And Jack Davis is no small part of that. Um, not to mention that by all accounts, he was an incredibly kind and a very thoughtful um, person, a family man. Um, and I hope that nothing that I say today disrespects Mr. Davis. Um, 
he uh, he definitely deserves to be remembered and to be remembered um, very fondly, um, not only for his um, his sort of uh, gentle personality, um, his very uh, you know as as far as I can tell from everything that I've read, um, very welcoming and very um, generous. Um, uh, you know, the welcoming and generous person that he was, but also because of the significance of his work. Um, but I, I do want to talk about the significance of, of his work, and specifically I want to talk about something that interviews with Davis um, and, um, you know, some of the, the retrospective of his life, uh, the man continued cartooning, you know, all the way really until his, his late 80s, um, and probably still had all the, you know, facility that you could ask for from a man of that age um, with the brush and with the pen, uh, famously inked with brushes and, and uh, you know, was a master of it. Um, but Jack Davis um, expressed in some of his latter-day interviews, um, I guess the, I think the best word is, is to say that he expressed a bit of ambivalence about some of his early and very influential work. Um, Jack Davis was among those artists at in the um, you know the Gaines era EC Comics stable of artists who um, created the early horror and um, crime uh, comics that you know had a huge following, um, and then were and then that entire industry utterly devastated um, by the Wortham hearings um, by the seduction of the innocent. And so today I want to take a second to talk about Jack Davis, to talk about his comics, to talk about his ambivalence, as I said, um, about some of that work um, and his reasons. And then actually to talk a little bit about, to, I, I'm, and again, I, I hope I, it's not um, disrespectful to the man, I, I intend the opposite, um, but to, to contrast Mr. Davis with, um, with Wortham. And, and my, my point in that um, in, in bringing in, I'm going to bring in Carol Tilley, uh, who's a scholar from the University of Illinois, and um, uh, some research that she did that came out in 2012 that, um, you know, rightly made a lot of headlines, called uh, the, a paper called Seducing the Innocent, Frederick Wortham and the Falsifications that Helped Condemn Comics. Um, but my, my point in bringing in both Wortham, uh, in bringing Wortham, who, you know, you might even um, set up as a perfect contrast and foil to, to, to Mr. Davis is actually to show the, the nuance um, that we ought to have when we talk about issues of comics, culture, um, influence, um, uh, uh, education and literacy and learning and uh, things like that. Um, the nuance that we have to have about people and their intentions and uh, and really how those intentions come out in the things that they do in their work and then how that goes on to influence the broader society. So that's my goal. I don't have prepared notes. Warning. I have a lot of um, texts in front of me and, uh, and not prepared notes. So forgive me for a little bit of rambling, um, which actually brings me to I'm going to give myself two minutes here to do some programming stuff. Uh, about this show. So this is, as I said, a daily podcast. I've been at it for a little over a month now. Um, this is, I think, the 36th episode that I've done. And I think if you total all the episodes, I have done one a day. If any of you are subscribers on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher uh, to my show, you probably I'm probably showing up in your feed uh, so much that it's annoying. I hope that you are listening to the episodes whose titles interest you and passing over the ones whose titles don't. Um, that's totally fine. 
but I just want to, you to know that I'm going to be continuing this for the next week or so, and then I'm going to take a break, about a two-week hiatus. And that hiatus is an opportunity for me to uh, reflect and evaluate uh, where this is going as a project. Um, I have... Um, uh, you know, this has been a huge amount of fun for me, as well as enlightening. Um, I, it takes up some of my time. It's kind of a welcome diversion from the writing that I'm doing for my dissertation. I am a, a, a PhD student, um, and I'm writing up my dissertation. It's about education. It's about civic engagement. It's about um, academic language. And so it's mm, a little far uh, from from comics. Um, and so this is a, a little welcome diversion, distraction, a little bit of a break. Um, but it, it does take time, and I think if um, if that's something that people enjoy, I'm happy to make plans in my life to keep it going. Um, on the other hand, if I'm just sort of populating the internet with yet more chatter that isn't really um, edifying to anybody, then uh, then I better call it quits and I better reprioritize my time. Um, not that I ditch comics. I continue to be blog editor at... Um, uh, uh, comics alternatives blog and occasionally to write at multiversitycomics.com but um, I think this podcast has been fun it's been very fun to connect with a few people who've been very kind to send me some messages um, it would be lovely if you are listening that you rate and review on iTunes uh, I think there are not enough ratings right now to even give an average um, it doesn't even have to be positive but just I think rating me would let me know that someone out there is listening um, and then, uh, you know, write me or, or tweet me or something. Let me know that, that you are listening. And, um, and as I evaluate over the two-week two week break that's going to come up a week from now, um, I will be able to sort of consider um, if this project is worth continuing. Um, and, and then, you know, to consider whether a daily comics podcast uh, of the sort that I do, trying to integrate a bit of um, uh, analysis and a bit of comics research into reading comics every day. Uh, whether this is worthwhile to continue. So, yeah, so that's my little um, shout out and call for support to all of you listeners. Thank you for supporting thus far. And, um, and yeah. So, uh, to, to return to Jack Davis, um, Mr. Davis uh, leaves behind a family that he is um, obviously extremely dedicated to. And um, I'm going to be drawing today from a, a couple of interviews. Uh, one notably an interview that uh, Mr. Davis did with Sam Adams at the AV Club in 2011. Um, and another that um, you know you can find, uh, actually if you just search Jack Davis interview, uh, you can find a, a number of obituaries right now um, and really good articles. But um, yeah, actually, I think I'll stick to the AV Club uh, uh, art uh interview. But there's also several uh, really good pieces on Jack Davis out there right now. Um, and I'm sure there'll be other retrospectives in um, uh, sites, comics related and uh, comics focused and otherwise over the next few days. Um, but um, Mr. Davis comes off in his interviews and in all accounts, as I said, as an extremely kind man, extremely dedicated to his family, grew up influenced by Disney, grew up influenced by newspaper comic strips, um, and then was, you know, he's sort of a, a, a Midwestern uh, kid. No, no, sorry, take that back. He's from the South. And uh, moved to New York because that's where comics were and that's where illustration work was. And obviously had a, just enormous talent, um, but really was uh, picked up by, uh, by, by Kurtzman, brought to EC, um, 
and uh, really started to make his living. Um, and, um, you know, to be a cartoonist in that era, you know, we're talking about the 40s and 50s here, um, was to really, to work ex incredible long hours and to, um, to be, you know, really severely uh, underpaid. And, and then to sort of have to deal with the question of respectability, of belonging to a career that people either didn't know was a real career uh, or um, was a real profession, didn't respect as a real profession, or uh, looked down upon um, despite the, the, the incredible artistry. There have been several books written about um, the, the struggle for respectability in comics, and I think one of these days I'll, I'll look at one of those. Um, today it's probably to, to a field. Um, Jack Davis lived through that era and lived through that era despite his enormous talent and despite the fact that coming from the South and being of the sort of culture and personality that he was, he may not have fit in with all of the sort of um, New Yorker, uh, largely Jewish American, um, you know, co comics making community of the time. But um, again, Kurtzman was a, uh, as he says in this AV Club interview, a big teacher to me through the years. Um, Davis called him a great, great man, and um, and that Kurtzman and his wife took took Davis in under their wings, and they fed him and helped him to fit in, and uh, and it was great. Uh, I, I think that story is really poignant when you know their work, when you know Kurtzman um, being at the pen. Um, uh, you know, and all the work that Kurtzman did, but but being especially instrumental in establishing the, um, as I said, long-lasting sensibility that uh, Mad, that Mad created, that Mad introduced to the culture, and that uh, Jack Davis again was a big part of illustrating. Um, in in this uh, this year, there was a, sort of another reprint of a lot of Mad work, and this time, in some ways, correcting the errors of the past. Where um, you know where creators were were uh, undercredited. Um, uh, recently, Mad Books, which is you know part of EC, which is I think owned now by DC, um, uh, Mad Books uh, reprinted um, these original Idiots books. And I gotta say, format-wise, I, I didn't love them. They were a little small, um, considering the how how uh, dense this art is. Um, but if you're just looking for something that's on the shelves now that captures some of this early work, um, there's a three-volume set, and uh, there's Mad's Original Idiots for Will Elder, Wally Wood, and Jack Davis. Um, leaves out some others. If you really want to, I think, respect um, these folks' work, I really recommend the um, Fantagraphics. Oh, man, what's it called? Eh, Masters of the universe. Uh, <laughs> forgive me. There's a, there's a Fantagraphics series that um, collects a lot of the work. I'm Googling it right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, that um, collects a lot of the work of this generation of artists. And um, e e uh, EC Comics Library. Is that right? Uh, EC Comics Library as well as the, um, the other... Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, <laughs> wow, good job, Paul. See, I, I warned you that I wasn't super well prepared. I had a lot of things I wanted to touch on, but uh, not a lot of preparation. So forgive me that for that. Um, but anyway, the um, uh, there's a lot of really good collections of Davis's work, um, and and I'm sure other things will come out uh, now that uh, you know we are celebrating his life and his history. Um, so. Um, 
but anyway, in this original Idiots, uh, which is just kind of what I happen to have at home, um, of Jack Davis, it reprints a, a comic that I really distinctly remember reading as a kid. Um, and it was, uh, he, you know, he had one, and this is from, I think, 1953. Uh, let me double check that in the table of contents. But in um, Mad uh, uh, number 13 in 1954, there was one that's called Book! Exclamation point. They, they all have exclamation points. Uh, book! Movie! And it's, it contrasts the way that things are described in a book and the way that things are described in a movie. And in a book, of course, everything is kind of lurid and dirty and, uh, <laughs> and there's even a suggestion of, um, you know, of uh, sort of uh, se sexuality that's quite different from uh, the movie version. And it sort of, um, you know, it was, it, it was actually, you know, as a kid reading this in the 80s, uh, I was sort of like, yeah, I kind of see that. You know, usually the book is pretty, um, uh, you know, uh, the is pretty honest and the movie seems cleaned up a little bit. But really it was when I started to, because of the influence of comics really, um, enjoy movies of the 40s and the 50s that I really could see, you know, Jimmy Stewart uh, or, or to take another example, even one that tried to capture some of the darkness. Um, I remember reading An American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser and then um, watching A Place in the Sun, which seemed to completely glory in the beauty of Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor, and feeling like, that's not the book. These aren't the characters that I read. <laughs> this isn't what Dreiser wrote. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Kurtzman writing and Davis drawing this, this comic, um, I think was a bit of a commentary about how popular culture was um, found it necessary to clean up um, the stuff that was that literature had already advanced to being very frank about um, violence, sexuality, uh, you know, things like that, and and really a kind of griminess and dirtiness. Um, the uh, Davis's art in the in the contrast, you know, there's here's the book version, then here's the movie version. Uh, the art in the um, book version is is full of uh, well actual censorship stickers. It says EC committee censored uh, of good taste, uh, a reference to much of the stuff that was going on at the time that I'll talk about later. But um, you know, there's like a knife wielding crazy person who um, looks uh, ragged and in, in, in a typical um, Jack Davis grotesque. Um, and, uh, and then the movie version has this very cleaned up, uh, very uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, movie matinee idol looking uh, version of the same character. And, uh, you know, violence happens off screen and there's all these dynamic camera angles that uh, make it look like a staged action scene. So the way that at, at at the time, especially, things were polished for um, for popular consumption, um, for visual consumption, in contrast to you know what you would do in text. Um, it's kind of interesting to step back and think about this as commentary of um, Davis himself and his own art, and then of what um, EC did. Um, EC, of course, and and this is where Davis entered the picture. Um, EC did published all kinds of crime and horror and uh, and you know um, and even romance comics in the time period when those were hugely popular in the time period where um, as Carol Tilly describes it in um, her piece on on Jack I'm sorry on um, oh, not Jack Davis on Frederick Wortham you know comics were were everywhere ninety percent of of uh, you know pulled populations uh, were reading comics and. Uh, then there started to be concern about them, and then the Wortham hearings um, put a kibosh on that explosive cultural growth. Um, 
And so to think back on Jack Davis, um, he, I think, is a, is a perfect exemplar of somebody who came up drawing the kind of comics that would sell, you know, Tales from the Crypt, that kind of stuff. And then um, in the era of the scrutiny uh, brought about by, you know, multiple sources, not just Wortham, but Wortham comes to sort of um, epitomize it uh, and, and then to, to really push it forward and advance it with his, his work, um, becomes a, an artist really in search of, of continued livelihood. You know, when we think about some of the damage that Wortham did, uh, you know, much of it is seen in the lives of these comics artists who were already, um, you know, close to destitute uh, despite the success of their books and then were scrambling, you know, scrambling for, for work when the industry um, started to collapse under the pressure of the public scrutiny, of the, you know, the, the moral stance that comics were destructive to youth. Um, Davis uh, did find that place. Uh, he found it being a mad um, artist. He found it um, eventually illustrating um, movie posters and album covers. And if you look at Jack Davis' work, you'll, you'll see that um, if not by his own pen, but by the in, then by the influence in the 60s and 70s of his style um, showing up in places like movie posters um, or, uh, you know, when I think of a 70s uh, comedy, um, I think of a poster that is, you know, cartoony, and I think of the Jack Davis style that was heavily imitated at the time. And so I, I really think that um, the kids of the 50s who grew up reading Mad became the teenagers and the 20-somethings of the 60s and 70s for whom that aesthetic um, represented this um, subversive countercultural uh, sense of humor. Um, and what's funny and interesting about that is that that comes from the pen of this incredibly talented artist who himself seems uh, like... Um, a pretty genteel person. I keep saying words, gentle, generous, genteel, <laughs> that have that same gentlemanliness, because I think Jack Davis was eminently a gentleman um, right up till the end. And I, one of the things that really interested me, and I, and I sort of had heard this early on, was that... Um, that he had a little bit of ambivalence about his own work, or you know, early in his career, he um, he uh, uh, had he did a lot of this, the the horror stuff, you know, being able to draw the the crypt keeper or the zombies or whatever. Uh, I, I honestly don't know that stuff super well, but um, that was very influential, and you know was eye-catching. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's said, for instance, in this AV Club interview, he talks about um, how uh, uh, he, he loved Kurtzman, always devoted to, to Kurtzman, to the other artists, always very respectful of others in the field, um, you know, very proud of his work, um, very proud of um, Mad, very proud of the, 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 the skill he had developed along with the talent that he had. Um, but, um, he says, uh, you know, the, the interviewer says, you talk in the book, uh, about how much you disliked doing the Tales from the Crypt stories, especially gory ones like Foul Play, which was one of Frederick Wortham's key examples in Seduction of the Innocent and helped lead to the creation of the Comics Code Authority. And that story, Foul Play, which is about sort of, uh, it's a horror take on baseball, um, is, is really famous and well-known and, um, and very celebrated these days. Um, and then... But in response, um, Mr. Davis says, oh, God, I'm telling you, well, I've told everybody before, Gary, Groth, and all of them, I have a hang-up. I love horror. I love ghost stories. But when it comes to illustrating it for thousands and thousands of young people to see it, I don't go along with it. I think that happened 
and I didn't know it was happening at the time. I just knew that I would go in and I'd get a check and pick up a script and go home and do it. I sat in a little room and did this horrible baseball story and it made the Senate hearings and everywhere. People liked it, but I didn't. I said, I can't do that. To this day, I love all the people at MAD, but MAD had changed. It's not like it used to be. It has some very good artists, but their philosophy is not mine. Um, and so, you know, in, in, in statements, respectfully, I think he, especially toward the, the, the latter uh, years of his life, distanced himself a little bit. You know, in, in other interviews, he comments on how, you know, his wife can't look at that stuff. He, he, he wants, he, he, you know, he didn't want to show his kids the stuff that he drew early in his career. Um, the f stuff like foul play. Um, the more lurid and, um, and uh, you know, sort of horrific stuff that he was, you know, if you look at it just purely from an artistic standpoint, you're like, wow, that takes a lot of imagination and talent. Um, but some of that maybe was just work for hire that he had to do. Uh, some of it, as he said, you know, he just was given a script and told to draw this and he drew it. Um, and it really makes you think about the role of an illustrator. Um, I won't say who, but I, I've known people who worked in um, art and animation who, um, you know, like an actor who has to play roles that they're not entirely comfortable with, um, whether morally, ethically, just in terms of the, the, the way it comes off in culture, um, not totally comfortable with, but they know it's part of, um, you know, part of what you have to swallow when you, when you do what you love. Um, I wonder if that's Mr. Davis, and, and I certainly don't fault him for his own ambivalences. Um, you know, I think we're now at a time where the specter of censorship and the, the harm of what, um, you know, Frederick Wortham, which I'll get to in a second, d did um, is, is always in the forefront of our, of our thinking. Um, Although there's quite, you know, there's still a lot of censorship that goes on. Um, there's things like the comic book uh, legal defense fund, which comic artists and fans everywhere are hugely supportive of, and who are ready and, you know, at an instant when uh, a library is prepared to pull a book uh, to come and defend and to marshal legal resources. Um, fundraising for the comic book legal defense fund is everywhere. They uh, do huge work in terms of education, in terms of promoting comics as a um, as an educational medium, as a artistic. Um, you know, uh, artistically worthwhile um, object of, of study and um, and something of benefit to society. Obviously, I share those sentiments. I wouldn't be here every day talking about and looking at comics uh, if I didn't. Um, however, I, I do think that w there's something wrong with us if we cannot, if we recoil at what something somebody like Jack Davis says in having a bit of a, a regret. Maybe regret is too strong a word. Uh, a little bit of, like I said, ambivalence about some of the work. Um, the truth of the matter is that, um, you know, I think all of us, I think we can say, rather than polarizing people and saying, you care about kids and you just want to sell filth, or, <laughs> or, or uh, on the other hand, polarizing people and say, you know, you're just trying to... Um, control, uh, you know, control artists and control free expression. And, uh, and here we are trying to um, stand up for uh, the right to speech or whatever. Uh, I think rather than polarizing people that simplistically, we can look at somebody like Jack Davis and see a, a man who, um, you know, was important to the establishment of 
a, um, a certain set of artistic voices and that, that we can acknowledge, as I think he does, that those artistic voices are important and they have an important time and an, and, and an important role. But on the other hand, if just to t go back to another example, if every young person gets their news from The Daily Show or from, um, or from uh, satire or from The Onion, um, I think that is something to be concerned about. Um, if every kid gets their thrills from, uh, you know, from horror and gore, uh, then we should think a little bit about the moral um, consequences of that. Now, saying that, I know, makes me start to sound a little worth me, and that's scary. Uh, in some of Davis's statements, he, he, he admits to, um, you know, he says that there were these trials and these hearings, and uh, you know, it it got it was to get these kind of comics out of kids' hands, and he acknowledges that maybe there should have they should have gotten you know taken them out of kids' hands that that they shouldn't be circulating and passed from kid to kid these um, you know horrible and violent and gruesome tales that he was drawing, um, and you hear that, and you know I know some are like. Uh oh, <laughs> you know, and then there's also the perspective that this man was so personally hurt by, um, by all of the criticism rained down upon these comics, um, the accusations. You know, it's not just that this stuff is bad or whatever. It was the accusations that they were that this stuff was responsible for delinquency, was responsible for, um, you know. Uh, broader social ills that would make that would cause a person even somebody who believed in and loved what they were doing to um to be somewhat traumatized um to to feel like he had to distance himself from that work which is a little sad um but i prefer to give mr davis more credit than that i i think he um he probably Okay, and, and to come back to the comics analysis, um, in this original Idiot's books, book, uh, the, the, um, the mad piece called um, Book Movie is followed by a mad piece from uh, the same year, a few months later, uh, it, mad number 16, called Newspapers! Exclamation point. And Newspapers! Exclamation point, again, you know, these are all Kurtzman penned, but um, done in collaboration with, with Jack Davis. Um, newspaper's exclamation point is a um, biting satire of this kind of censorship, this warning that, um, you know, all is lost in our society because of the, the filth that's in comic books. And so in the opening page of newspapers, exclamation point, it says the press department, youth, even as we speak, grownups of America battle tirelessly to destroy evil reading ma matter that is corrupting youth. However, behind their backs loom unchallenged evil reading matter that is corrupting grownups, youth. Save our grown-ups. Save them from the bad influences of newspapers. And so the opening page is nine-panel grid. And uh, in, in, a <laughs> in Jack Davis's brilliant ability to, go to, to um, maintain a consistency of artistic um, uh, uh, feeling, but to have extreme um, contrast in tone, there's a, a guy standing at a newspaper stand he picks up a newspaper he's reading it he sees a kid reading a comic book he picks up the comic book from the kid the kid has this great expression on his face like hey how come you just yanked that out of my hand and then you see the expression on the man's face you know his hair you know flying through the air his eyes bulging and you know it's the same man but 
<laughs> but is is uh, almost a completely different style um, in his um, shock and and disgust at what the contents of the comic book. And then you know, horrified, he tears the comic book to shreds. <laughs> the kid is um, angry, and then in the last panel, he himself, the the man, is reading his newspaper. And then the pages following show what's in this newspaper. Um, it's all, of course, satire. It's all onion-looking stuff. You know, sort of. Uh, onion the the great grandfather of onion kind of stuff um and um yeah i'm going to pause for a second here sorry needed to manage my disk space on my computer a little bit um but um again to continue on this um the the newspaper the periodic newspaper piece that um the man sh it shows that the man is reading has headlines like man carves up his girlfriend and uh, uh full details on most nauseating crime ever and what kurtzman and davis show is really that the stuff in in our our daily newspaper is as lurid uh or worse than the things that are depicted in comic books and similar to the previous one about you know the the uh, the book and the movie um you know the things that we read about and sometimes are illustrated with photographs um, the violence of boxing, for instance, or advertisements that exploit um, the female body. Um, they are the, the very same things. They are the very, you know, appeal to the very same things that some of that these comics that, that, that are criticized and censored um, appeal to. And so, you know, it's just, it's satire. So <laughs> it really is pointing out the hypocrisy of um, adults who want to strip kids of, of the lurid stuff and then uh, indulge themselves in it when they read the newspaper. Um, I think it's an example of, well, it's an example of mad. <laughs> it's also an example of Davis's talent, his talent for um, the exaggerated reproduction that, um, I mean, this is satire 101, right? But he basically is able to reproduce something and then to have just enough difference to, um, to make it, you know, to, to, underscore the irony you know that's what things like on the onion or the daily show do so well um there's a, a a piece in here that's alice in wonderland and if you read alice and if you ever read alice in wonderland especially with the uh, original illustrations by john tenniel um which who illustrated the original alice work by lewis carroll um davis does this great imitation of tenniel's style um down to the way the way that the line and the um, the sketchiness of the drawings comes out, the proportions, but um, then throws Bugs Bunny into the mix. Uh, it's rich. It's good stuff. And 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 Davis, you know, even if he didn't write the stuff, the fact that his artistic range and sensibility could could create it meant that he was fully locked in to that tone and that mood. And so I think when you think about some of his um, retrospective um, distancing from his work, you have to also remember that that's not, you know, this isn't a crotchety old man who suddenly decided that the stuff he did in the past was filth. He's always had um, this wizened sensibility. Um, and, and yet having that wizened sensibility, and here's where I want to get to the nuance, you know, he, he can still look at, uh, you know, I want to give him credit that he can still look at some of his work and say maybe that wasn't the most productive work. Um, you know, I think Davis can be our hero without him uh, being our own comfortable justification for never asking questions about what the effect of our cultural production is, um, especially when it's read by, by young people. 
you know, just because we're, we don't want to be worth them, we don't want to be censors, doesn't mean we can't ask those questions. Um, and th that makes me want to turn now to, to Carol Tilley's piece, Seducing the Innocent, because I think Wortham, um, you know, I think Wortham was sort of early McCarthy, <laughs> you know, he, he s created the template for the, the pop culture witch hunt that uh, many have followed since and, and still follow to this day. And I think those who fear um, fascist control of, of popular culture and popular media uh, look at Wortham and say, you know, that is the, the great devil that we're afraid of, um, that, we, uh, that we must uh, confront because of his devastating impact on comics as an industry and the way that in the popular um, imagination that tends to simplify, um, he may be, you know, c uh, disproportionate to what a single person, the impact that a single person usually makes in, on society. Um, he and those like him um, tarnished uh, the, the, the cultural status of comics in America to such an extent that even to this day, you know, I am a avid comics lover. I am a, you know, whatever, a PhD student, and I'm embarrassed to read a comic sometimes. <laughs> I get sidelong glances from people sitting next to me on the, the, the subway train. It's not a subway. It's a bar train. Um, and, uh, and Wortham had a, you know, big part to play in that, and it's no small thing. Um, but I think one of the things that Tilly points out, first of all, is that, um, is that Wortham was not nearly a witch hunt uh, you know, instigator. He was a social scientist. He was a psychologist. He, um, you know, he was uh, commended by C. Wright Mills, a sociologist that uh, many of us respect. He um, you know, started his work inspired by people who were concerned about the, the, the development of youth and particularly you know, urban youth street youth and specifically you know set up a clinic in harlem uh you know in, intent on helping children of color especially um who were dealing with issues of um the kinds of pathology that we often nowadays have come to chalk up to um you know youth of deprivation youth in the cycle of poverty the quote-unquote underclass uh and you know he, he sounded the alarm that popular culture had a huge role to play in in um in forming these young people's um you know sense of the world and then you know create you know i, I guess the point that i'm making is that wortham was an, a social scientist he was an actual social scientist and he was trying to do something positive which was you know not to put um sort of art above the well-being of young people <laughs> to to uh, be concerned for who 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 young people were becoming and um and whether or not we were fostering criminality or deviance in 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 kids and especially vulnerable kids um that is a very generous <laughs> portrayal and i don't think that's Tilly's point at all. I, I need to to say that that's the the although, and then the thesis is is what comes next. Um, but you know, I think that that's a, a point worth making because 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 if we villainize Worthams as people who are just um, you know uh, like you know out to get 
artists for some reason or out to get, uh, you know, to snatch <laughs> things that kids enjoy out of kids' hands like that, uh, like that character in the newspaper comic, the newspaper exclamation point um, comic in Mad. If we think of, of Wortham and his ilk as those kinds of people, then we're likely to miss the Worthams in our midst. We're likely to miss the people who, um, who, are, who sensationalize um, quote-unquote research because, um, because they're well-intended. And, you know, something to, to fathom about Wortham is that he thought of himself as a somewhat uh, of a progressive, you know, in the, area, in, the, in the vein of the progressive era, you know, reformers and, and um, yellow journalists who, um, you know, really uh, exposed the things that caused social ill. And I think Wortham thought of himself that way. Um, he thought of his, his efforts that way. He thought of his book, Seduction of the Innocent, that way. Um, as somebody concerned with the betterment of society and looking at young people and the culture that they consumed. Um, and in, there's a, a, a vast difference between the two things I'm about to compare, but, but if you simplify it, there's some affinity with Wortham and, say, Richard Hoggart's Uses of Literacy. Um, which was a landmark book in the in the creation of cultural studies. You know, both can be critiqued, but and certainly they're doing very different things. Um, but you know, in a sense, they they said, I, I, you know, I, I'm not here to be a, a an English professor. I'm here concerned about what everyday people are reading and how does it Im affect them? How does it um, uh, define for them the the parameters of 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 engaging as a citizen or uh, uh, the ways that um, they, they come to terms with sexuality or with, um, or with power or with politics. And, and those were the things Wortham was concerned about. Now, the reason why Seducing the Innocent, which is the name of the article by Carol Tilley, um, who I mentioned earlier, um, the reason why Seducing the Innocent is so important is because Wortham was villainized for what he did. But I think if you villainize him merely because of what he did and don't pay attention to his intentions, then I think you actually, um, uh, you know, just join in the shouting match that he fueled. And I think the shouting match is not helpful if we want to think seriously about young people and culture uh, or about culture and its effect on society. I think the shouting match is reductive and oversimplistic. Um, instead, what Tilly does is Tilly had access to his uh, now publicly available papers, the, the sort of Wortham uh, archive stuff that's in the, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, oh my gosh, it's where stuff is archived and uh, available. Uh, <laughs> pardon my ignorance here. Again, this is all unprepared. Um, but, but Tilly went through his actual papers and his, his research notes. And what she was able to show was the ways that just actual, from a social science research pers perspective, Wortham falsified and, and oversimplified and overgeneralized a whole lot of data. In a way, he shows what happens when you have a bias and a bone to pick, um, an ideological, um, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, uh, a priori decision, a, a certain uh, uh, hammer <laughs> where every nail, uh, you know, everything was a nail. And he, he really wanted to um, make a name by exposing what comics did and then fudged the data. And I think the real crime, I mean, you know, maybe it's a crime to, to start a manhunt, but the real crime is to falsely represent the community he dedicated himself to serving to falsely represent um, 
Well, I mean, as a social scientist myself and one concerned with literacy in youth, the worst thing that we can do in a field that already gets questioned for its scientific validity is to make stuff up. <laughs> and, you know, what, what Tilly shows is that he did some, you know, a healthy amount of fudging and making stuff up that um, contributes to the sense that, that this is a witch hunt. Um, that this is trying to fabricate an argument um, and that he's driven as much by ideology and politics as by um, actual uh, facts. And by actual facts, I, I don't just mean scientific objectivity. I mean the facts of the human beings, the young people that he um, was, you know, um, was you sort of propped up as his his reason for um, his cause. Um, so, you know, I say all this because I think Wortham represents uh, a, an example of how it, it's dangerous for us who believe in art and believe in culture and believe in it being in the hands of kids to oversimplify the enemy. Um, it makes us... Uh, a little bit reductive and uh, not nuanced enough ourselves. And I think for all of us, especially those of us who are educators and concerned for youth and literacy, um, my point is that we can and should, in a, in a way that respects people like Jack Davis, um, recognize and think about how culture does impact uh, kids and how sometimes we should think twice about the, the effects. Um, for instance, if we, you know, if I'm exposing my daughter to, to media all the time that conveys to her the message of, you know, this is normal and this is abnormal. This is, um, this is the, uh, the default and everything else is, um, you know, aberrant, then that's something I should think about. Um, that's something I should be um, circumspect about. But I think Wortham <laughs> reminds us that when we think that way, we may be well-intentioned, but we must be really, really careful about how we do it. We must uh, remain committed first to uh, kids themselves <laughs> and their actual, the actual complexity of their experience and their development rather than um, resorting to um, simplistic uh, causes, um, simplistic bones to pick. Um, and, um, and I think when you think about the impact on, on somebody like Jack Davis of, um, of dismissing the entire medium of comics, um, I'll be honest. I mean, I have a kid, I am an educator and I'm around other parents all the time. I am, as I've said, you know, just issuing comics to their their kids all the time and sometimes i'm a little nervous and and not just because i'm worried what their parents will think of me but i i honestly think a lot is this content appropriate for kids um and it's not just a matter of these heavy lines of does it have this does it does it say this word does it you know whatever but but really like am, are we exposing kids at an age when it's helpful to them to deal with a little bit of darkness or is that kid in a place and have they had an experience where this darkness needs other things the kid needs other things around them the the reading experience needs to be complemented by a sense of community or family being there for her or him so that there is safety and there is something cathartic about reading 
this dark thing. You know, those kinds of thoughts go through my head. And I think we have to learn to think that um, complex about, um, about kids. We have to be that nuanced about culture and development and youth. Um, all right. High horse, and I, I really didn't mean for this to become a um, a soapbox about an issue. Uh, I really meant to to um, come at this, and I apologize if I did. I really meant to come at this at, to say, you know, Mr. Davis. Um, I think if you felt, uh, and, and Mr. Davis's family, um, if you felt a certain ambivalence about that work, I understand and I sympathize, and and yet I want you to know that. Um, the the kind of um, artistry and not just artistry but 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 consciousness awareness care that you brought to your work in order to um, to to play the jester's role in the court of shining a light on our hypocrisies and our um, you know our misplaced use of authority and so on as adults as a society. Um, it's appreciated. It's appreciated that being part of the counterculture was a good thing, even for those of us um, a stodgy conservatives who I'm not a conservative. Uh, I'm a I'm a evangelical Christian who is not a political ideological conservative. But um, uh, e even those of us who are, are are stodgy or at least thoughtful, trying to be thoughtful about kids, um, we appreciate you. We appreciate what you did. Um, we appreciate that your work had a, a, a role and an important voice. And in, in, I think in honor of your spirit and your legacy, we want to be thoughtful about bringing kids. I, I can't wait for the day when I can bring my daughter, and maybe it's soon, uh, to look at some of that early Mad Magazine stuff and to laugh wryly and then to be able to have a, a critical and um, maybe even prophetic perspective on um, these shibboleths of um, culture that we hold up. Um, I think that is as important to her as all of the, um, uh, you know, whatever patriotic, nationalistic um, virtues uh, upholding that we, that we do. Um, that too is important. Okay, gone on long enough. So thank you for joining me. Uh, tomorrow is our Friday find when I will, no, it's our fi Friday family graphic novel, when we will talk about something that is family graphic novels. I have no idea at this point what. Actually, I have some ideas. Um, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, I'm thankful you joined me, and uh, keep on reading. All right. <laughs>